Well, good morning, Christ Central. As Daniel said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and it's a privilege to be with you this morning, a privilege to open up God's Word with you. Uh, This morning, we're continuing in our current sermon series entitled Barriers to Belief. Uh, Last week, Pastor Daniel talked about the barrier of exclusivity, this idea that Christianity claims to be the only true religion. And this week, we're going to be looking at a barrier that is in many ways a subset of the exclusivity claim. Uh, And that barrier is absolutism. Uh, This idea that Christianity not only claims to be the only way, but also to possess absolute truth. And the reason this idea, this belief, is a barrier to so many, likely many of you, is because by holding to this belief that Christianity possesses absolute truth, you are unavoidably declaring to large groups of people that I'm right and you are wrong. And in today's society, there is nothing more reprehensible, especially in the field of religion, than to declare oneself right and everyone else wrong. And so this morning, I want to attack this barrier head on, not by dismissing the Christian claim of possessing absolute truth, but instead by hopefully showing you how that claim may not be as much of a barrier as you might have thought. Uh, Our text this morning comes from the book of Galatians. We're going to be bouncing around a bit. I welcome you to follow me on the screen or in your bulletin. I'll be starting in chapter 2 and then skipping over to chapter 5, as is our custom. would love for you to stand in reverence to God's Word. This is Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Paul says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And then skipping over to verse 11, but when Cephas, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And skipping over to chapter 5, verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The prophet Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. 
God, I ask that you would speak to us now through your word, that you would use me, your servant, to bring your truth to us, your people. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It is becoming more and more obvious to me that the men in my household are greatly outnumbered. Two to one, in fact. And one piece of data that really brought this to light as of late is that I have to confess that I believe I've now seen the movie Frozen more times than I've seen the movie Rudy. And that is sad for me to admit. However, as a result of this fact, I think I know this movie through and through. I think I've memorized the entire movie, Frozen. I'm not going to sing it for you. But I realize now that that may not be such a bad thing because it was brought to my attention recently that there may not be a better picture of the cultural shift that has happened in America over the past 50 years than the movie Frozen. I want to invite you to listen as... American sociologist Robert Bella describes this shift that is taking place. Maybe it would be better to say has taken place. He says, in America, no longer is identity realized as in traditional societies by sublimating our individual desires for the good of our family and people. Instead... We become ourselves only by asserting our individual desires against society, by expressing our feelings and fulfilling our dreams regardless of what anyone says. And is that not what the movie Frozen is all about? Look at the main character, Elsa. If you, ha if you haven't seen the movie, she is this powerful woman, and yet all her life she's been told to conceal don't feel. Don't let them know. <laughs> Told that to embrace this power that she was born with would be wrong, be dangerous, inappropriate. And yet when we arrive at the climax of the movie, Elsa finally decides to stop listening to these voices around her and she boldly declares to ignore their warnings. No longer will she submit. Now she's going to test the limits and break through. And what's the result of this brave act of rebellion? It's liberation. Or to quote Elsa, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. I heard someone recently comment on how scary it is as a parent to hear your three-year-old sing this song. <laughs> no right, no wrong, no rules for me. That, that's not cute. I think that's a threat. And yet as society today, we call this act of rebellion good, noble, beautiful. Absolute truth has oppressed us long enough. We don't have to submit to someone else's truth anymore. We're finally free to make up our own rules, our own right and wrong. Just let it go. The Supreme Court of this country actually codified this idea long before Elsa ever came along in a ruling made back in 1992. The joint opinion stated, the heart of American liberty is to define one's own concept of existence. 
of the meaning of the universe. So now you can see this barrier a little bit more clearly. You can see why in light of the values of the day, Christianity is very hard to believe. Because if true freedom according to society is the casting aside of absolute truth, it's the absence of external constraint, then Christianity truly is the enemy of freedom. Because God is as big of an external constraint as you will ever find. And the Bible, God's word, unashamedly draws boundaries over and over again, requiring us to say no to, to things that we want to do and yes to things that we'd rather not. And so therefore, Christianity, according to society, must be the antithesis of freedom because by its very nature, it holds the Elsas down. It prevents Elsas from living into their true identity because instead of, like the Supreme Court said, allowing Elsa to define her own concept of existence, her own meaning of the universe, Christianity declares that we must submit to the creator God's concept of existence, to his meaning of the universe. And let's make this a little more practical so that we can fully acknowledge how hard this really is. The Elsas of today don't have magical powers that they are supposed to suppress, but rather they have a desire to have sex outside of marriage have an abortion, to look at pornography, to live lavishly, to manage their business in a way that's hurtful to the poor, or to live in such a way that destroys the environment, or they have a desire to seek vengeance when someone wrongs them rather than forgive. We could go on and on. And our society says, you're free, have at it, do whatever you want. Christianity disagrees and instead declares that God has authority in these areas and all areas and that we as individuals don't have the freedom to make up our own rules to define our own existence. So now I hope you can see how big this barrier really is. So what do we do with that? How do we overcome this barrier, this paradox that society says true freedom is found by abandoning external constraints? And yet the faith that we embrace here at Christ Central wholeheartedly embraces them. I have three points this morning that hopefully will lead us down that path. The first is that the freedom the world offers isn't actually that freeing. Secondly, the chains of freedom. And then third, the freedom offered in Christ. First, the freedom the world offers isn't actually that freeing. I think the first step to overcoming this barrier to belief is to understand some of the logical fallacies of the pathway to freedom that the world around us is propagating. And to do this, we first have to unpack what is underneath this cultural shift that we're talking about. The first thing that I want to say is that I think what is driving the cultural shift that is happening in America is both admirable and also it is our fault. And when I say our, I mean Christians. I think that what is driving this cultural shift is a desire to be inclusive. 
to embrace people and love people right where they're at rather than demand them to come meet us where we are at. And without going too much on a tangent here, this idea, this value, it's actually, it belongs to Jesus. It comes from him. You see, first century Judaism had become incredibly elitist, cliquish, ugly. There were the insiders, the Pharisees. They had all the power, and then there was everyone else. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he has nothing but criticism for the Pharisees. He won't even give them the time of day. But rather, he chooses to spend all of his time on the fringes, with the outsiders, with the outcasts, with a pretty rough crowd, with those whom the Pharisees would have never been caught dead hanging out with. Jesus was as inclusive as it gets. And so clearly, present-day society is getting something right in its desire to be inclusive. But where does this desire to be inclusive come from, if not Jesus? I honestly believe that in many ways, the societal shift is happening as a response to the Pharisaism of the church of the past hundred years. The truth is, instead of being inclusive like Jesus, we, the church, have been so elitist and cliquish and ugly. And so I get why so many are scared to walk in these doors. And so if anyone is to blame for this shift, in my opinion, it has to be us. So what do we do about that? I do think the culture is right in pursuing inclusivity, embracing the outcast, and yet I want to say that I think the culture is a little misguided about how effective it is being in this pursuit of inclusivity. And the reason why, and this is big, is because the truth is absolute inclusivity is impossible. Look with me now at our text. A little bit of context here for what's going on in Galatians chapter 2. Paul is a devout Jew. He's a Pharisee, the one that Jesus didn't have any time for. And he'd been recently converted to Christianity, and he's become one of the leaders of the early church. And there's this big fight going on in the church. It's around this subject of circumcision. The debate is about whether or not converts to Christianity, a faith that's rooted in Judaism, should be required to obey Jewish law in particular, to be circumcised. And if we look through our cultural lens, through the Elsa lens, then we would say, no right, no wrong, the rules for me, do whatever you want. Who cares? What's the big deal? Circumcised, not circumcised, you decide. But that's not what Paul says. That's not how he responds. Verse 5 says he takes a stand. He says, we did not give in to them for a moment. And then later in verse 11, he says that this issue was so important that he picked a fight with Peter, the most influential of all disciples. He wasn't going to let this go. What's the big deal? Why is Paul so upset? Why is he making such a big deal out of this? Look at verse 5. He tells us, Paul's determined not to let this go because he says, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul is saying that there is substance to this faith, that this thing, the church, is not a social club, but rather it's a community that is aligned around a specific set of beliefs, of truths. 
in order for us to exist as a community, we must be united or we are nothing. And what I want you to recognize this morning is that all communities exist in that way. They necessarily do. Either they are, are aligned around certain troops, truths or they are nothing. To be a community, you cannot avoid the I'm right and you are wrong statement. I want to borrow an illustration to hopefully make this a little more clear. This is from Tim Keller, pastor in Manhattan. He, he says to imagine that one of the board members of the local LGBTQ community center announces one day, I've had a religious experience and now I believe that homosexuality is a sin. At the same time, I want you to imagine that a board member of the Alliance Against Same-Sex Marriage makes this announcement. He says, I've discovered that my son is gay and I think he has a right to marry his partner. Now, regardless of where you land on this discussion, I want you to think about how each group must respond to this situation. No matter how gracious or flexible the members of the group are, they will both be required to say to the board members, you must step down from your position on this board because you do not share a common commitment with us. And what's interesting about both of these communities is that the first has a reputation for being inclusive and the second has a reputation for being exclusive and yet both of them operate in the same way. And the reason why is because to be a community is to be on some level committed to substance. Maybe a more personal example would be helpful. One of my best friends in high school is a devout universalist Unitarian meaning that he believes the exact opposite of what Daniel preached last week, that there is one true religion. And this friend of mine and I have had this discussion time and time again. He talks about this inclusive faith group that he is a part of. And yet when I press him, my friend acknowledges that there's no way I could ever be on staff at his church. I'm certainly welcome to come and observe, but I wouldn't be allowed to speak, at least not more than once. And rightfully so, because my convictions stand in direct contrast to everything that the Universalist Unitarian Church stands for. So in order for them to be true to themselves, they have to be exclusive of me, much in the same way that I have to be exclusive of them. And so what we see here is whether we like it or not, for a community to have substance, to be something at all, it has to embrace some form of exclusivity. Which leads me to my second point, the constraints of freedom. The point is, as much as we may want to deny it, true freedom only exists in the presence of constraints. That there is no freedom without bondage. Paul says it best himself in verse 4 again. He said, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Paul fully recognizes that freedom was at stake, but contrary to Elsa, Paul doesn't believe the answer is to pursue life without limits, to let it go. But rather, verse 5, he embraces the limits as the means to find freedom. 
He says, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He clung to the limits, to the truth, knowing that true freedom only comes through limits. And if we're honest, I think we all innately know this to be true. I want to share a few examples with you. First of all, what if on your way here to Haiti, you were driving this morning and you noticed there were no longer traffic signs. There was no stop signs, no traffic lights, no lanes in the road. It sounds like freedom, right? Do what you want. And yet, in fact, that would be utter chaos. I know some people drive like that is true, but that would not be good for us. That's not actually how freedom is cultivated on the road. Yesterday, my kids went fishing. And what's interesting is when they catch a fish and when you pull it out of the water, it's not, it's not free. It struggles to survive. It's flopping around aimlessly and eventually it will die. But when you constrain, when you restrict that fish to the water, it is set free. It is powerful. It is empowered. Think about Mr. Key, our bass player. The best bass player that I've personally ever met. How did he get so good? Did he just pick up a bass in one day and naturally figure out how to play? I don't think so. It's possible. Imagine it's not what happened. I imagine he spent countless hours restricting his freedom. He could have been out playing, having fun, goofing off, but instead he was practicing, honing his craft, practicing scales until he had blisters on his fingers. But now, now Mr. Key is free. Now he can pick up that instrument and the music just flows from him. Or maybe the best example of all is love. It is impossible for me to measure how much my love for my wife has constrained me. I can remember when we were first dating, we were long distance, and and I would organize my whole life, my whole day, just so I could snag a few hours talking to her on the phone. I spent silly amounts of time and money driving up to see her, flying her down to see me. Now that we're married, I'm even more constrained. I'm constrained to love her and only her. And yet I wouldn't give up these constraints for anything. What's fascinating is that in my constraints, I find the freedom, the freedom of love. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, The love of Christ, or for me, the love of Stacy has constrained me. It's hemmed me in. And yet that love is profoundly freeing. What do we learn from these examples? This is what I want you to walk away with. Freedom is not the absence of restraints, but it's always existing in the presence of them. It's fascinating The ancient Greeks figured this out a long, long time ago. Contrary to the view of today, the Greeks feared this idea of autonomous freedom, life without external restraints, because they recognized that we all have all these voices in our head, competing voices, voices that change. And so instead, Plato argued that our freedom, it must have a goal. It must have a horizon. It must be in service to some ideal that is higher than itself. And therefore, Plato argued that to be free is to be and do that which you were created to be and do. Let's say that again. To be free is to be and do that which you were created to be and do. 
think Plato was on to something. Listen to how British theologian John Stott expands upon this idea through a gospel lens. He says, true love places constraints on the lover, for love is essentially self-giving. And this brings us to a startling Christian paradox. True freedom is freedom to be my true self as God made me and meant me to be. And God made me for loving, but loving is giving, self-giving. Therefore, in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give myself. In order to be free, I have to serve. In order to live, I have to die to my own self-centeredness. In order to find myself, I have to lose myself in loving. True freedom is then the exact opposite of what many people think. It's not the freedom from all responsibility to God and others. In order to live for myself, that is in fact bondage to self-centeredness. Instead, true freedom is freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love for God and others. Maybe Christianity isn't the enemy of freedom. Because maybe freedom should not be defined as the absence of restrictions, but rather the right restrictions, according to whom, to fit what you were made to be. Which leads me to my third and final point, the freedom that God offers. As I've previously stated, I do think we all believe in absolute truth on some level. The question is not, is there absolute truth, but rather, where do we go to find this truth? What are the right restrictions to subject myself to so that I can be free, so that I can be what I was made to be? Or maybe better stated, the question is not where to find this truth, but from whom to find this truth? And now we see that the barrier here is really an issue of trust. I don't know about you, but for me, I have very little trouble submitting to authority that I know has my best interest in mind. No, Daniel is not the perfect boss. Amen, staff team. (laughs) They they value their jobs more than me. Um, But I love working at Christ Central because I have no question that Daniel loves me and truly has my best interest in mind. Therefore, it is actually a delight to submit to his leadership and authority. And that's really the heart of this barrier, isn't it? It's not that we struggle with absolute truth in general in some sort of nebulous sense, but rather we're just not fully convinced that the God of this absolute truth is really for me. Because if we truly believe that, then submitting to his truth, it wouldn't be very hard. It actually would be freeing. I've shared this example before, but I'll share it again because I think it applies here. One of the best litmus tests for me to diagnose where I'm at in terms of believing that God is for me is whether or not I drive the speed limit. I know that sounds stupid, but it's big for me because I read the Bible, Romans 13, and it says we're to obey the law of the land. But when I don't believe that God is for me, I read that scripture and I think, There you go again, God, trying to make my life miserable. Or at a minimum, you're trying to make my life difficult. 
And yet the fact is, experientially, I know that I'm way more joyful when I commit to drive the speed limit. I find myself in far less of a hurry. I'm way less stressed. I don't carry the anxiety of, is there a police officer over that hill? You should have seen me living in Atlanta, driving around the perimeter at 55 miles an hour. I would get honked at all the time. I got the finger, but I was so at peace. <laughs> Felt so good. What's the point of that story? Maybe, maybe just, maybe just maybe God is actually infinitely wise. And he really does know what's best for me and, and, and desires for me to have that. And that if I submit to him, to his restrictions, maybe I will experience joy. If you're still not convinced, I've got one more example for you. How do we really know that God is for us so that we can submit to his truth? Listen to the words from another one of Paul's letters coming from Philippians chapter 2. It says, who Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What this passage tells us is that Jesus Christ, who was God, laid down his freedom. He gave up his God card, if you will. The one who was infinitely and ultimately free chose to be bound. Why? So that we might trust him and believe that he truly is for us and not against us. The way that we overcome this barrier is not to come to believe in absolutes, but rather to encounter the absolute. When we encounter him, Jesus, and see that he willingly restricted his freedom, willingly submitted to his father, then we will be compelled to trust and obey. Listen to how famous hymn writer John Newton says it. He says, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. Brothers and sisters, we are free to be bound because the true path to freedom is to be bound to the only one who can set you free to be who he made you to be. I want to close with the words of Jesus himself. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Father, we confess that at the heart of this barrier, at least for me, is a lack of trust. It's not that I'm against truth in general, but I doubt whether your truth is good for me because I doubt whether you are for me. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that you truly are a good, good Father and that we are free to be bound to you and through binding ourselves to you, we will experience true freedom 
and true joy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.